Welcome to the modern erotic, a place to delight in, discover and indulge in the many ways we can open to receive more pleasure in our daily lives. Pleasure is nourishment, pleasure is power, and in these times, pleasure is a deep form of resistance. Join me, your host, Sophia Shawkon, as we travel the scenic route through the landscape of the erotic. Welcome back to The Modern Erotic. Thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here with you all again. Uh, Thank you for your patience. I'm a little bit delayed this week. I needed to take some restful days while my cycle did its work with the new moon. So I'm feeling refreshed, revitalized and ready to go after a good few days of rest. So this weekend, uh, I'm introducing a conversation with the inspirational Marlena Seeger, who is a sex and relationships educator. She is working with the Healthy Pleasure Group and the Entomology, which you might recognise from the first few episodes. Um, So she's working with the wonderful Dominique Retzos and Nadia Dean. Uh, And she's also an independent educator on her handle, We Nude to Talk. Um, So I was fascinated about the generational difference between me and Marlena and looking at how attitudes towards sex education has shifted between my generation and hers and also bringing up the conversation around how do we talk about sex in the home with our parents, with our children, how has technology changed the educational roots uh, to finding out about sex and sexuality and it opened up into a really interesting conversation which I hope will plant some seeds and maybe make you think about how how is it that sex is spoken about is it spoken about in the home is it something that you want to talk about or maybe it's not Um, I completely understand that this is maybe not a conversation people want to be having but I am very curious about it because I had the experience through lockdown of being at home making work which was very much about sensuality and the erotic and so it started Um, really interesting conversations with my mother about this um, area. So I was just intrigued to explore this more and this is where we're going this week. So if you want to find out how to talk about butt plugs with your dad, this is where to find out. (laughs) And without further ado, I will introduce the glorious Marlena Seeger. Marlena Seeger is a sex and pleasure educator who strongly believes the most effective way to normalise consensual sex and pleasure is by talking about it with everyone and anyone who will listen. (laughs) This has led to lots of interesting conversations, not least at the family dinner table. 
She started her career teaching SRE, sex and relationship education, within secondary schools before moving into adult-focused sex ed. While working at the female-focused sex shop Shush, she organised and devised an education and events curriculum and now is part of the Healthy Pleasure Group, the world's first sexual health and technology agency. Having taught sex ed to both adults and children, she advocates for comprehensive, inclusive and pleasure-centred sex ed from an early age and throughout adulthood. Marlena strongly believes that embracing our bodies and desires without shame is the most powerful form of resistance we have, and she plans to keep helping people feel empowered to do so. So I'm really over the moon to be joined by Marlena Seeger. Hi. Hi, thank you for joining us here on The Modern Erotic. Thank you for having me, I'm excited. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, And the reason that I wanted to talk to you was because you have an incredible history um, within sex and relationship education. Um, And I love the fact that there is quite a generational difference between me and you. And I wanted to explore that a little bit and also uh, to share a bit of your story um, about your what you've learned through educating young adults and also adults um, about sex and sexuality. And yeah, yeah I, I just feel like there is because I'm 39 and you're what age? You? I'm 23. Oh, I'm turning 24 in like a week. Yeah. So I, I forget. Amazing. Happy birthday for then. Thank you. <laughs> but I think that's, you know, that is quite a, a big difference in years between us. And mm. those years have been full of uh, quite a lot of change, um, which has meant that um, the exposure to information about sexuality and education has really changed. And that's partly due to technology. Um, but I would be just really interested to to open this conversation up with you and we had a little chat um I know it's probably about a week ago and you shared something which I thought was a really good place to start um and that was that you uh you experienced a bit of lockdown at your parents which I did too um and I would love to know what came up because obviously with your work is about sex and sexuality and um being you know with your parents and working how did that how did that open up have you been able to have conversations with your parents and yeah what what exchanges have you had yeah I mean I think I do actually feel a bit sorry for my parents um but I actually I moved home to London um just over a year ago so I was actually living with them prior to lockdown Mm -hmm. but my moving home coincided with my kind of work in sex ed um and in sex toys more specifically mm-hmm. um so they kind of were there from the start I guess Brilliant. um and I'm I I can't keep anything to myself um so they were just I was living with them so they were the people that were going to hear about my work mm-hmm. um and so pretty much from the start I was having conversations about like different vibrators um and I taught my dad what a butt plug was because he was very confused Um, (laughs) so I kind of I didn't hold back from the beginning um which I think I think when I know whenever I bring up people like think it's really funny um 
and I mean it is it's quite it was quite amusing um but I think it just they kind of they just kind of had to accept quite quickly that this was what I did Mm -hmm. um and that I wasn't embarrassed about it and like Mm -hmm. I mean my mum especially I don't think she really cared like she she came to visit me at the shop I was working at pretty early on um and so it kind of broke down those barriers quite quickly Mm, um and so I think by the time we got to lockdown which was when it got very intense um Mm. obviously with always being near each other um and my work was at home now yes um and I was talking with people on meetings about kind of different vibrators and kind of different kind of orgasms. Um, and you're just on the, at the kitchen table. Um, it just, it, I think we've become all a bit immune to it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I know my mum was definitely saying she just sort of brings it up and realises that actually it's not the standard conversation for every family. No, I think it's quite rare. And that's why mm. I was so impressed by it. Um yeah, because I think it is something that's difficult to talk about with your parents, no matter how old you are. Um, but actually, it's really nourishing if you can. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, yeah, I think I am. I do recognise that I don't think this is a dynamic that everyone can or wants to have. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's it's one that I kind of actively sought out because um, I just decided I didn't want this to be. This was such a huge part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't know that I could have always have shared this with my parents. I know, obviously, as a teenager, I was kept a lot of things from them, yeah. um, as you kind of more normally do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I just decided that if I was moving back home as an adult or trying to be adult, then um, this was my adult life. And yeah, that was how I wanted it to be. Fantastic. That's very bold. I love it. Um, and and I think it's you know it's probably really useful for your parents as well mm-hmm. to have that frankness and that clarity. Um, and I would imagine because I was at um, at home for about a month at my mother's, mm-hmm. and I was doing lots of um, kind of erotic self witness and really making a lot of artwork about the body and about sexuality and pleasure. And I would kind of run downstairs and talk to her about what I'd been doing, and actually it opened up a space where we could both be really honest about mm. that part of ourselves and that that felt really powerful and it's taken me this long to do that with my mum but I'm really impressed that you're yeah you're doing it now it's fantastic <laughs> and I also think that's testament to the the shift that's happening mm. um and the the ease with which the generations coming up are um able to talk much more frankly and freely about sexuality and it's yeah, it's become kind of part of our identity in a bigger way, I feel. Um, yeah, definitely. Mm, which is wonderful. So, um, yeah, please share a little bit about your experience as um, an educator. I'd love to find out more about how yeah. you found your way into this and, yeah, what you've been yeah, up to. I'd love to. Um, I mean, I think I've always been a little bit um, obsessed with talking about sex. It was definitely, I was definitely the first to always bring it up growing up but I got yeah. into sex education while at university I started volunteering for um the student-led charity called Sexpression which has mm-hmm. I can't remember the number of branches they have but they're all across the UK um and essentially it's um university students who go into nearby schools and teach uh sex and relationships education mm-hmm. on topics that the teachers ask Sexpression to teach on so I went into various secondary schools um in Edinburgh, which was the city I was studying in, um, and taught about gender, porn, uh, healthy relationships, um, at least consent as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so I did that kind of on and off throughout my university degree. And that was when I realized that this is what I enjoyed doing and I saw there was value in it. Um, And so I kind of, I think I kind of didn't know that I wanted to commit to it as a job. Um, I think because you always, when you're at uni, you always kind of flip around. Um, But as I got to graduating, I was just like, no, this is what I want to do. And I got a job as the assistant manager working at Shush, um, Mm -hmm. the uh, the female focused sex shop that was um, used to be in Shoreditch. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I started, that's when I moved back home and that's when all the butt plug conversation started. Um, <laughs> and, that was, um, and that was, and that was, yeah. So I was doing that for about a year uh, pre COVID um, mm-hmm. and I was helping to organize events and kind of education classes. So I got to meet an incredible amount of educators and just people in the field. And so I was also learning while working because Mm -hmm. I was helping put on all these different events and classes, which meant I also kind of got to be a student in the classes, which was really incredible experience because I think, especially with something like sex, you're never not learning because Mm -hmm. you only know so much. And there's even within your own own body, there's so much more to know. Um, And then uh, through uh, Nadia, who you had on, yeah. a few weeks ago um she obviously was starting with the entomology and so I got in contact with her um and then now um yeah I'm with uh the entomology and HPG which is really exciting mm. yeah really exciting with all the growth that's going on yeah definitely. incredible and I, I mean that's interesting because you've had um kind of experience with young adults mm. um, and then also with adults as well and so again that's witnessing that kind of generational difference Mm, and did you notice I mean what did you notice um in those different uh, groups I it's I almost kind of want to say I mean the content obviously for secondary school kids is very different to what you teach kind of adults in an orgasm class yes but so much in terms of kind of how people approach it is so similar because I think that what I think something that is consistent like across generations is the fact that everyone not everyone I know I don't want to include everyone in this but mm. every a lot of people are fascinated by sex um, mm. and it's a very big part of everyone's kind of being mm-hmm. um again I don't want to generalize with everyone but most people um and I mean I remember we'd have I'd had um quite at the beginning of working at Shush I had these two women come in who were potentially in their 70s mm. um and they were buying their first vibrator um and they were kind of owning their pleasure at that age wow um and it was honestly it was like such a heartwarming experience because they were two best friends and they were like trying they were trying to get each other to um buy a vibrator that would really work for them they're like no you won't like that you'll like this one um Fantastic. which was just a really wonderful experience um yeah. And it was very similar to kind of a young teenager come, uh, not a young teenager, a young adult coming in, maybe mm-hmm. 18, 20, um, and buying their first vibrator. Mm. Um, and I think it was very similar in sex education as well. Um, there was just, yeah, there's just this kind of interest in it as like a human experience. And I think we're all, we all kind of want to be doing it the right way. Um, yeah. And we feel, we feel like, we have so much more to discover which I think is true I think we all have so much to discover but I think that was just really interesting across the generations is that actually the interest and fascination and kind of personal relationship with it is similar in that sense I don't Mm -hmm. I don't think that's changed I just think the access to it Mm -hmm. um, and the language around it has changed Mm -hmm. 
yeah that's yeah I think the language and the because I think that it's quite interesting what you said about we all want to be doing it right but I think mm. there's so much about it being wrong that we're kind of mm. having to try and undo but also the things that feel wrong sometimes add to the pleasure of it um yeah definitely yeah but it's yeah that's really that's amazing to hear that yeah. there are women who are in their 70s and beginning yeah. that journey it's fantastic yeah, yeah it was amazing it was very um beautiful experience to see yeah. wow um, yeah. grace and frankie eat your heart out <laughs> real life <laughs> yeah, love it. um and obviously you know when we're talking about kind of younger adults mm-hmm. there are you know, like like you said there are different parameters around what you would share and show with young adults versus you know adults who are maybe coming to learn about something specific um mm-hmm. uh but I mean do you feel because I know that the education that I had um when I was well, a young adult was pretty minimal mm-hmm. um, and very much based within the biology um you know of the body how it works um reproduction um, and there wasn't really any talk about pleasure at all. Um, and I wonder if that's changed, if you received, um, you know, any any education about pleasure at all, or if that's going on within what you were doing uh, with sex, sex expression. Um, I mean, I want to say my education, absolutely not. I don't mm. think pleasure was mentioned at all. Mm. Um, I, we we had sex education as part of our PSHE mm-hmm. um, lessons when we were about 14, 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was very contraception heavy. Um, yes. And I went to um, an all girls school. Um, so obviously the assumption of contraception was very much placed on us. So I don't know if the in-depth amount of contraception that we learned would be the same at a mixed gendered school mm-hmm. um, or in a boys school. Um, but no, there was no discussion of pleasure Mm. um or sex being something that was you did because you enjoyed it or Mm. you did for fun Mm. um I think that was potentially implied um I mean I was quite a um I was quite a talker in Mm -hmm. PSHE in these classes great um so I think I somehow actually I think I I think it was because of tv shows and things for me that I kind of already had this idea that sex was this fun thing to do Mm -hmm. um but there were, yeah, there wasn't really discussion on kind of sex as um, a connection with a person and as a relationship and what that mm. dynamic means. Mm. Um, it was, yeah, it was still pretty kind of factual. Yeah. Um, I'd say the conversations now are changing, even from what I hear about people um, who are now teaching. So my friends who are teachers. Mm. Um, and actually, I have a friend who went back to my school and taught um, the sex ed then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there is an acknowledgement um, that sex and relationships education does need to change. I mean, the government have finally uh, mandated that um, sex and relationships education as um, a topic and a theme has to be included. Wow. Um, when did yeah. that happen? That's fantastic. I think that's meant to be coming in this September. Brilliant. So SRE as a um, as a subject is now being taught, whereas before I think it was kind of like a module within PSHE. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that Scotland became the first um, country to ratify teaching LGBTQ mm-hmm. um, relationships and sexualities and genders 
Fantastic. Um, wow, that's a real so think, Yeah. No, it is amazing. I think obviously there has to be a push that it's done the right way. Or well, not the right way, but it's done. It's done. Uh, yes, yeah. it is done. Um, yeah. But I think, I think a lot of education is now... I think school is a really valuable place for education to take place, but I think there has to be an acknowledgement that it isn't the only place that we're going to learn about it. Yes. And I think that has to be taken in, yeah, just taken into consideration when people approach talking about sex with young adults mm. um, and even children. Um, mm. I think we can't continue to pretend that if we don't mention it, it won't happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that brings us back to the importance of being able to talk about it in the family mm. um, and, you know, to, whether you're a parent and you've got, you know, young, young children, young adults coming up and into it. It's like, how do we broach those conversations from a healthy grounded place? Um, mm. And it's, you know, and then also how, how else can we provide spaces where young adults can go to learn about it rather than school, which can feel quite pressurized and kind of learning with your peers can be embarrassing if you're maybe not, you know, in that same vein so maybe if you are lgbtq and mm. you want to find other information but like you say in scotland it's only just moved towards that um that space to teach in it might be mm. a much more heteronormative environment that you're learning in school oh um, absolutely i mean i think even the fact that there's contraception is taught as as the main thing of sex ed is very is very heteronormative in its sense yeah it's, it's there's no conversation about I mean, we talked about all kinds of contraception, but I didn't learn about a dental dam until after I first had an experience with someone else with a vulva. Mm. Um, so it's say, so how can you mention all the different kinds of contraception and then yes. leave out leave out one of the very crucial ones that actually is really important for anyone performing oral sex? Yeah, yeah. Wow. God, I hadn't even thought of that. Um, yeah, and what, I mean, with kind of other spaces where you feel like this could be provided... What I mean, yeah, for kind of young adults and things, what what in your mind could be spaces? Is it more in the virtual world where you think it could be effective or in, in real life? I mean, I think it has to be a balance between yes. them. I think I mean I think we can't stop that it will that education will education and information, not even necessarily um helpful information, will be available online. Yeah. And so I think there has there has to be a um a combination of the two and so a better relationship formed between how we educate offline with how we educate mm. online mm. um i don't think those two exist in separate fields or sectors anymore i think um especially when it comes to porn and the accessibility of porn online i yeah. think there's still a mentality and it did change because when i was with sexpression we did teach about porn mm -hmm. so there is an acknowledgement that we do need to recognize it um but i think that it, we can go further with it. I think if people are looking at porn from an average age of 11, mm -hmm. and I imagine it I imagine it goes down yeah. um, each year when people first view it, um, it's just so easy to come across it. And that's why I think open conversations with um, your children, um, with your parents about it means that when they see it, they can come and ask questions. Yeah, um, yeah. so the doors but, open. Yeah. But I do think kind of, sorry, more to actually answer your question. Um, I do think that um, social media is becoming a huge place for it. Yeah. Um, I I mean, I think social media is just, um, I mean, it is a tool. It's not, it's not kind of the be all and end all. Um, no. But it is how we, it is how we communicate. And I mean, if you think about how in a normal in-person conversation, you're likely to talk about sex. 
um, as you're old, as you grow older, um, there's no reason why that won't be on social media as well, because you just talk about what you talk about in real life on social media. Mm. Um, and I think especially in lockdown, it's become, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, it's also a lot, there's a lot wrong with social media, but I think it is also incredibly powerful yeah. to communicate via yeah. these different platforms. Definitely. Um, yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I mean, I've learned so much, mm. you know, it, just at my age through Instagram, because it is quite an intimate um, education tool. Like if you yeah. see it as that, you can find people who are representing the spaces that interest you. Um, and, you know, then through them, you find other people. And I yeah. found, found incredible, you know, teachers on online. And that's, that's been really amazing but I know I have you know quite a grounded interest but mm. I, yeah but I wonder whether it goes the other way if it's in, in the hand of you know a child or a young adult who doesn't have as much experience who can be easily kind of led in different places and also I guess there's yeah there's the other aspect of it which is kind of sexual predators online who mm. you know are, are pretending to be people that they're not and that's a whole other kind of spectrum yeah, of course. I mean, I think, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. I mean, that's, I, I think it's just like when we look at technology, it's like we have to look at the, the positives, but also we have to look at the kind of negative aspects because it's all there. It's all, yeah. and it always will yeah. be, I think, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why, that's why we have to be active and proactive about yes. it. I think, I think there's always this um, pushback, I think, against technology. Yeah. Um, I mean, even when like Facebook or Instagram change their interface and everything, the cost and it looks different. People kind of have a have a moment because we don't like change. Yes. Um, and I think there is this inherent pushback against technology. And I think in, in many ways that is fair. I think technology can be quite um, negative or harmful in many ways. But I think it, if we're proactive about how we utilize it mm. and you're proactive about how you use it as an education resource for anything, yeah um then I think it can be a really powerful mechanism for teaching people about how to have healthy relationships and I think also what's so powerful about the internet and social media is visibility yes. I think there's so much more visibility of um just different sexualities different genders different mm -hmm. experiences even within one gender or one sexuality mm -hmm. um and I think that's so powerful in showing people that their choices are valid and how they see themselves in the world is valid yeah yeah and i think i really like i really um i don't know how feasible that was before before the internet before social media no well, i think it was very very different and you know even mm. with you know learning about different kinks and things if you go back you mm. know 10 years 20 years it was you know it was through you go to spaces where other people are and you you know you find your community or it's through a, you know a, a magazine that's published monthly and you find that out or there's a sex shop that you know it's like it was so 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 different mm. and I think, um you know then that's also maybe why there is more of a a diverse interest in sexuality now than there was then because it was so behind closed doors and it was mm. you know you really didn't talk about it because you it, you know it's almost dangerous in a way yeah. um so yeah I think that visibility has done done a lot to help people you know realize that they're they're maybe want to open up and learn which is fantastic Definitely. yeah because um, I think mm. oh sorry go ahead no no carry on <laughs> I was just gonna say I think um I mean obviously 
I've only lived the years I've lived, but mm. I don't think that all the different sexualities and genders and desires and everything that is now available and there to see on the internet, I don't think that never didn't exist. No, I don't know if right. I'm a double negative there, but yes. what I mean yes. is I think it, it was always there. I just think, like you said, it was it was in smaller circles and for many people it was behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people didn't have the names for it. Um, yeah. And now that you can physically see it, you can physically take a picture mm-hmm. um, and spread the and talk and go online. Mm-hmm. Um, we You can't deny it in the same way that you can before, but I don't, I think all that it's done is shone a light on it and um, made it accessible. I don't think it, I don't think it's created anything new in terms of people's fundamental desires or anything no no I think yeah I think those are kind of inherent within mm. the human condition and and they're kind of yeah they're, they're just within us they're within yeah. us aren't they and they always have been yeah definitely and and I guess yeah if we're having the conversation about um technology and Instagram then we also kind of have to include censorship because what I've noticed recently is I follow quite a lot of sex positive people who are you know educators or teachers in different um, areas and there is kind of sexism racism Mm. um, kind of patriarchal algorithms that are controlling what is um, seen to be you know deemed suitable and not suitable for this space Mm. Um, and I think that's that's interesting and challenging yeah I think because you know whose voices are allowed to shine out and whose are being stifled yeah exactly and I think it's very I think the algorithms are the reflection of I think in my opinion the worst part of humanity um Mm. in many ways I think um because I think obviously we say because we say the words algorithms and we say the words kind of censorship and things and I think it's really important to remember that these are all created by humans yes um these algorithms are now on a computer and their data but the data is driven by human perception mm-hmm. um and I think it's it's very reflective of even within the sex education and sex tech industries on social media which places are allowed are afforded more mm. more of a voice mm. um, and afforded more visibility and I mean surprise surprise it's very often cis white straight people yeah um able-bodied thin mm-hmm. um I mean myself included in that like I, I've yeah, had very minimal I've had very minimal issues with censorship mm. when using social media that I know people who look different to me um in many different ways I've they they haven't been afforded it's this very very different story for them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and I think that is just reflective of because I think social media we see it as this separate entity to the yeah. rest of the rest of the world but it's it's another human driven human made yes form form of something that we use really I mean I want to say technology but it's, it's I think even with the word technology we see it as separate to human it's still human driven and I think mm. it has all the same systemic issues that any other kind of sector in our society has absolutely Um, yeah and when I I mean when we're talking about this I'm thinking gosh I mean is it possible for an algorithm to be empathetic (laughs) is that possible (laughs) and how does that work and you know again what space does that take Mm, artificial intelligence into and where are we going on this massive ride (laughs) yeah exactly and I think I mean I'm I'm not tech savvy when it comes to algorithms or coding me neither, me neither. um but I think it is yeah just for me it's always it always comes down to 
there is a human behind that mm. or there are humans behind that and so there's bias behind that yes um and so we and again I'm not I'm not an expert on AI um by any means but I think the reason I fear AI and I fear kind of technological advancements because is because I'm I'm questioning who's behind them yeah not because I worry necessarily about the machinery kind of taking on a life of its own mm. um, because even if it does do that um it's grounded in some human ideology and it's yeah. where is that ideology coming from and who does that ideology benefit yeah and actually that supports the human mm. because I think that you know it's a massive industry and you know there's there is possibility to make vast amounts of money from people who are within it looking mm. at AI and sexuality and it's like it's literally a whole virtual world of fantasy that's possible to be created and I think that is exciting mm-hmm. but it's also yeah. you know making sure that like you say the people who are creating those spaces those algorithms those um functions for you know for us to jet off into this fantasy world have yeah have good intentions mm-hmm. behind it of care and looking after that energy within the human beings that are clicking into that other space because yeah sexuality is part of our energy body and it's a life force and Mm. it's really powerful and really valuable yeah if we can educate ourselves to um to work with it you know to nourish ourselves Mm. and to enjoy and to connect like that's what it's the beauty of it but i think there is also space for yeah for for Mm. corruption like with any any kind of new technology i guess so it's something to keep a track on and also inspiration for for more people to go into that space who are more diverse you know Mm. different genders different sexual interests different races so that we can have that that balanced reflection of that space of technology yeah definitely and i think i think that not only is that important but i think it has to be Again, it has to be with the people within the field already. Yes. Um, being proactive about. Um, I know we have these conversations um, with HPG and entomology. We talk mm. about who, like, who isn't here, mm. um, and what what are we? Not what can we do to, not just what, what we can do to make spaces more welcoming, but what are we doing that is making these spaces unwelcoming? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's always a very difficult conversation to have um, yeah. when it's like we're doing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm. And I think that's why um, when you were talking about um, kind of our own energy behind mm. technology, um, and I think that's why when I was saying this, different spaces have to kind of work together, like the offline and online. And I think that's the same for technology because I think any sex tech is neutral in the sense that it it can be bad or good yes. depending on how we approach it. Because I remember there's obviously a huge conversation around um sex dolls and lifelike sex dolls yes. and how predominantly it's a um cis male market mm-hmm. um who buy these dolls and mm-hmm. I think I think we always associate that with kind of like a really seedy idea of these kind of odd men who have these dolls um mm-hmm. and I I personally think it's a very neutral thing I think it can be a very powerful wonderful thing um to increase accessibility for people to have these kinds of connections in a way that is possible for them mm-hmm. but I think it comes into obviously there's the fear of um, excuse me oh, the fear of um kind of increased gender-based violence and yes. I think that isn't that isn't being exacerbated by the doll that isn't being caused no. by creating that's sex a byproduct. Being, yeah exactly and yeah. I think that's why 
we need to have education about yes. sexism, for example, when you're talking about these dolls and racism as well, because there's obviously so many racial fetishes. Yes. Um, yes. And just, I mean, every kind of privilege. Um, and that education needs to happen offline and online mm. in tangent with the development of sex technology. Um, mm. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's again, it's kind of it's building in because, you know, when you mention those dolls, that's almost um, an absence of being able to relate. And so having mm. something that's um, kind of ambivalent and um, passive is kind of enables these men to go towards something that symbolizes the intimacy that they're craving. Um, mm. But, you know, maybe there's things that they're not able to um to face with a real woman and so this is a, a space within which they feel they can you know create that relationship but I think that comes down to kind of looking at the emotional education and us learning mm. you know tied in with um, sex ed it's like how can we mm. teach or how can we not teach I think it's something that you really have to learn yourself but create spaces where you can find information and find mm. you know um I guess just ed education around how to have healthy healthy relationships um, oh definitely that's such a, yeah. that's the other part of sexuality it's relating and it's intimacy and it's connection and all those yeah, things I think that takes the majority of people too long to realize mm. um, and I think when it comes to education and this is what I really hope this is why I really like the term sex and relationships education yeah because I think they have to be taught together absolutely um, because I think the emotional side that we learn about sex doesn't come no one really talks to us about it it either comes from our understandings of love which I guess we're allowed to be taught from day one um and there's a there's almost a separation of what we we teach um children when it comes to love and when it comes to sex and that mm -hmm. love is allowed to be taught when we're born like I mean especially for um AFAB um, and cis girls like mm -hmm. they I was sent to bed, um, I just remember going to friends' houses and being sent to bed watching fairy tales. And so we normalise we normalize marriage, we normalise love yeah. as this thing from the beginning, but sex is left out of the conversation and becomes this mechanical, biological thing we get taught about 10, 15 years later. Yes. And it completely misses the point that love and relationship, and I assume marriage, um, is as complicated and dangerous and wonderful and um everything that sex is mm. um and I it's as it's, it's as I grow older it just never makes sense to me why we separate the two because yeah. they're so they're so linked yeah and Hands they're so influenced by each other and I mean honestly I think I just I'm, I'm going on a bit of a tangent here but I just remember walking past um a garden a few years ago and this little girl was playing like a tea party mm. and as I walked past her mum was like oh and where's your husband um, and I was just and I thought why is that normal for a mm. three-year-old girl to be told that she has a husband and this yeah. life partner that she's committing her life to mm. um, and which is such a huge commitment and such a huge emotional um, kind of well I guess a huge emotional intelligence that you need mm. to be able to manage that and we normalize that as this neutral assumed thing yeah um, and we don't do that with sex and i think there's they're both just taught terribly really i think i think and i think that's why when we talk about the emotional side of sex 
we lose it and we miss out on it because we're not taught that connection yeah absolutely yeah and I think there are there's so much that we absorb um kind of subconsciously that we teach subconsciously as well within that parental space and I I feel like there's so much to review you know for all of us in that space because we get given these ideals of what you should do and what is right in society with Mm. how to relate and Mm -hmm. that in itself is is something to unpick because you Mm. actually get to choose what kind of relationship you want um and we can make and design our own kinds of relating if we want to um and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that traditional because I have deep respect for it um because I know it's very challenging but it's also very enriching because you're Mm -hmm. having a a lifelong reflection from somebody which I think is a deeply powerful thing yeah but but I I feel like yeah through culture there's so much that's drilled into us Mm-hmm. with that specific type of relating um yeah and it's yeah. not yeah like you said it's not even that we shouldn't be talking about marriage no we shouldn't because it's yeah. absolutely your choice what you want to do I just exactly. I've never understood why we think it's okay to talk to children about these very big concepts of marriage yeah. yeah and not about sex when those are just as two separate likely things that they may or may not want to do when they're older mm-hmm. um and they're still like I said they're so connected yeah um yeah and it's think- just yeah no sorry no you were gonna say carry on um I was gonna pick up on the point you made about kind of choice and the kind of different options Mm. um and I think that's something that we don't we don't get taught enough is that we we have these choices these are these are fundamentally our lives and our emotions and our bodies Mm. um and I think it goes beyond the consent 101 of what you want to do in that moment but it's what you want to do with your body forever and with your Mm. mind and your emotions Mm. um and that is always 100% your choice and no one else's. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, being able to translate one's emotions into communication is a massive yeah. skill. And that's only yeah. something that I've just learned how to do. And I'm almost 40. <laughs> it's taken a really long time. But no, no one teaches us. We don't, we don't get no. emotional communication in our yeah. PSHE classes. <laughs> It's like they yeah. don't teach us our taxes and they don't teach us how to communicate exactly, our emotions. all the useful stuff. Oh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we don't, yeah, it's the stuff we really need to learn and that's why, yeah, um, yeah, maybe school isn't the only place for it, but it just, it definitely needs to happen at some point. Mm, mm, yeah, there needs to be another school, which is, mm. yeah, where you get all the, the good stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, I also feel like, you know, within relationships when we're talking about relationships and the emotional um landscape around how we find intimacy it's like often we're we learn the biggest lesson from our parents as well Mm. and I think that is such a huge imprint with how Mm. we perceive um what we think relationships should be how we behave in relationship what the expectations are what our kind of blind spots are with that as well. And I think that's that's almost where we get the biggest dose of, of education about love and it's not necessarily healthy. Mm. Um, and so kind of finding different spaces where we can learn about the different types of relating, we can learn yeah. our, our habits, our love languages, our sexual preferences is so, mm. so valuable. 
Mm. It's really interesting that you mentioned love languages because um, that was actually one of the things me and my parents did when um, the beginning of lockdown um, mm. is that we did the love languages test and we Fantastic. we all realised that we communicate very differently, which I think yeah. was almost quite helpful, especially in lockdown. So helpful. Um, to know that actually, um, like I'm, I mean, for me, lockdown's been quite difficult because my love language is very much physical touch. Yes, um, too. And then, and it's complete opposite for my dad. Mm. Um, and I think it just really shows that um, we all communicate very differently. And I think that comes back down to kind of being taught how to emotionally communicate. Yes. I think one of that is about communicating in a way that makes sense to the other person. Because mm. just the amount of times people assume what someone means yeah because they just they haven't because they have an ingrained understanding of what x y and z means in a relationship again because we pick them up from like you said our um, our parents or whoever our carers are um and from all these subconscious um forms of education like what we see on tv i mean i think my generation was completely messed over by twilight for example um (laughs) and i think everyone understands body language or like even the smallest thing differently um Mm. and yeah and I think we just don't we just think we don't need to communicate that I think oh if I hold someone's hand it's so obvious that I mean x y and z whereas for someone else that means Mm. something completely different and that's complete both are completely valid and I think it's just there aren't any scripts for it there aren't any scripts for good sex Mm. there's not any scripts for a good relationship um, but we assume them and it's in the assumption that we create really unhealthy dynamics sometimes or com- complicated dynamics. Mm, mm. Yeah, and I think it's, it's you know, there are no scripts, but it's learning your, learn your script, isn't it? And then mm. you can teach people what that is. Yeah, absolutely. And also that, that script's going to mm. change constantly. Yes. Um, you're constantly going to be rewriting. I mean, I was talking to my um, friend the other day, like I literally two nights ago, um, discovered something new about my body while I was masturbating and I was like I didn't know this mm-hmm. and I've been masturbating for Brilliant. like 10 11 years and I'm like it's constant like maybe yeah. that was always there or maybe it was just something I discovered that mm. just changed over time um wonderful and I think it's yeah because yeah. the body changes so much oh ab- yeah the, completely yeah and that's why I think you're never not learning when it comes to sex or anything just because yeah. your body is constantly changing and what worked a year ago might still work but maybe you found something that you prefer um and even kind of yeah. monthly um what we want and what we enjoy is so so different and allowing yeah, yourself absolutely. space for those changes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and where we are in our lives mm. and how we're feeling and um yeah there's and I think also the the kind of work that we're doing on ourselves you know that may be um that you know that kind of goes up maybe as you get older because you you want to become more conscious and you want to become more um satisfied in yourself and content and so you know you kind of look into different areas to support yourself Mm -hmm. and as you're doing that work which because there's so much emotional stuff that's stored in the body it's like when you're finally paying attention to do the work that supports your body to release to let go to open Mm -hmm then suddenly your pleasure map can completely change mm, because you've maybe done some work on your voice and so that makes you more aware and open to more pleasure in different ways and mm, yeah definitely. there's a lot yeah a lot to discuss I think you're really right that I think it's when we talk about communication it's also how do you communicate with yourself um because yes, I think 
first and foremost. Yeah, because I think so much of what we need and want, our body knows. Um, like yes. we have those gut instinct feelings when something's not right that we always ignore mm-hmm. when we shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and our body, our body has its pleasure potential in it. Um, and that's so, so different for every single person. Um, and that's not to say that you don't necessarily need help um, from like even medical professional help or um, mm-hmm. however else that might look. Um, but mm-hmm. what your body needs and wants is within your own body. Um, yes. And you can't, you can obviously have a doctor or a professional help you get there. But it's, um, yeah, it's about kind of knowing and learning what you need rather than seeing something or being like, oh, well, X amount of people um, need, like, for example, with the statistic 70% of women or people with vulvas need clitoral stimulation to orgasm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's mm-hmm. still that 30% that don't necessarily. And so, yeah. Um, that thing, and so also cute. how your clitoral stimulation works will be so different. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes. I think it's just first and foremost listening to your own body. Um, and I think that's the thing yeah. with sex ed especially is that we we can teach all the different techniques. And I've been in classes where we've taught loads of different techniques. And I think they're all amazing techniques, but I think it can be quite disheartening if you try them and they don't work. And I'm like, that's absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with your body. Um, mm. And I think the main thing that, um sex education should teach is um that it's so so deeply personal uh, and that's mm-hmm. honestly my biggest takeaway from sex ed with young adults with any age is that mm-hmm. what is right for you is so so personal and a technique might work but it's not because you're doing the technique right it's because the technique is right for you yeah absolutely yeah that's well that's a really powerful thing to for listeners to understand and to yeah just to take on board mm. pleasure is specific to you it's it's bespoke yeah, <laughs> bespoke, yeah. bespoke pleasure map. and do you have any tips for um maybe creating safe spaces to have conversations about mm. sex ed with young adults or yeah yeah what would be your advice to maybe parents who are wanting to have those conversations or just navigate that space yeah I mean I think um I mean obviously I've never had to had to speak to my child about it but I think yeah I think what has always worked for me with my family at least is I've always gone into it with um the idea that this is just an interesting valuable conversation to have um and Mm. it's not oh we're going to talk about sex now let's change the tone let's change um yeah let's change our approach it's just the same as if I bring up something else it's like oh this is really exciting um this Mm. has happened or um what do you think of this um and I think I mean I think that being said like the first time will probably be weird and it will it might not go as well as you'd hoped and there will be pushback Mm. with whoever you're talking to because we're not used to these conversations we haven't given ourselves permission to have these conversations um with certain people um Mm -hmm. but I think I think well I think that's almost the work of our of my generation is to have these conversations with ourselves first Mm. as well no definitely yeah that's like when I'm thinking about maybe teaching spaces it's like gosh have the teachers who are teaching the sex ed have they you know come to terms with their own sexuality and I think that's almost part of it as well it's like if you can go on that journey yeah it might help 
help to kind of clear some of the stuff that you're carrying so it can be a clear space for your child yeah definitely and I think it's recognizing that you won't you won't have the right answer for them necessarily and it's not just because you've had sex and you've been in love or you've done all the kind of different checklist things um it doesn't mean that you're necessarily um able to able to teach it um just just because you've experienced Mm -hmm. it so it is also yeah doing the work yourself Mm -hmm. um reading the book and there are growing there are growing numbers of um books that communicate um these conversations that you can use um but I I think key to it is not is addressing it up front I think it's it's, I think Mm -hmm. it's this is a com um like talking about sex saying the words um because I think if you if you use metaphors or if you kind of subtly kind of maybe like when you pack someone's bag, like their university bag, you like pack condoms in their bag. I mean, I think that I mean, yeah. give your children condoms and contraception. Um, but yeah. I think it's, it doesn't have to be this, this kind of private thing that we don't talk about upfront because there's nothing, there's nothing shameful about it. Sex isn't inherently got a value to it. It's just a thing. Um, and I think, we can decide what moral value we put on it. Um, mm. And so I think it's about deciding what moral value you want to put on sex mm-hmm. um, and how you want to communicate that with whoever you're educating. Yeah, so kind of taking some of the, the drama and the hype out of talking about it. And I don't like the word normalise because I think sex is something that's very special. Mm. Yeah, oh, that's <laughs> and, so true. I've never um, thought about that, but I like that. Yeah, I, I, I'm not up for normalising sex. <laughs> But I think because it's, it's cosmic and it's incredible, yeah. but maybe just like in the way that we approach it, it's part of life mm. and let's plug it in and let's bring it in so that it's familiar mm. and it's present rather than we usher everybody into a, a little room to talk about it yeah. quietly. And, yeah, like yeah. getting comfortable, I think. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think you're right. I, love, I think sex is I, a wonderful, wonderful thing and it doesn't. And it isn't, and how, what sex and intimacy is for you, um, like, I've, I mean, I feel like I'm saying this a hundred times, but I just, this is honestly the most important thing to me is that it is different. Um, yeah. And so what is wonderful about it to you might be different for someone else. But I think yes. acknowledging that, um, and even the fact that if you are someone who doesn't want to have sex and doesn't have any mm-hmm. kind of sexual urges with other people mm-hmm. or with yourself, knowing that that's also yeah. wonderful because that's your yeah. body and that's what you need and desire. Um, and I think, and that's a choice. Yeah, and having the yeah. space yeah. to feel very valid in that and feel seen in that, mm. um, I think is a really needed, needed aspect of the conversation. Yeah. Beautiful. Yes. That's grounded. That's really grounded. Mm. Everything is welcome. Exactly. Yeah. And everybody's welcome. Absolutely. Mm. And yeah. whatever groovy shape yeah be exactly in. and I think mm-hmm. with education if you're a parent if you're a teacher you're also gonna learn because like I said at yeah. the beginning like you're never not learning and because everyone yes. has their own sexual journey what someone else views something as or what someone else might say is an opportunity for you to also learn and also discover yes um, absolutely yeah because I think we're so we're plugged into our experience mm. of who we are of who our identity is what you know what we enjoy and actually there's there is so much there's a huge gamut of um what turns people on and you know different ways to express that energy yeah 
and it's it's really I mean it's really interesting to to have conversations about it with different people because then you yeah you you learn about another's experience and that can be really enlightening yeah no definitely I think there's so much again because it's such a human thing so obviously the most valuable thing is to listen to other humans and learn from other humans about it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I mean that's kind of partly the reason I'm doing this project is because I'm really fascinated by it and Mm. by other people's experiences of it and where it touches us Um, and then sharing it allows other people to hear that too so that's yeah that's the motivation yeah um, and I know we're almost at the end of our time together We're, I've loved this conversation um but I wanted to touch on something again which I I love about what you do and you started to teach on TikTok I have yeah social kind of media platform that I really I'm not down with the kids in that way so I'm not on it but I'd love you to share what you're doing on TikTok and how you're finding that and what you're what you're sharing on there yeah, I am. Um, so I started TikTok about, I mean, I started TikTok, like I feel like most people on TikTok did. I started it during lockdown. Uh-huh. Um, and it was when I decided that for me, I really wanted to communicate with younger adults yes, um, and with teenagers um, in just quite an honest way about sex and all the things that I wish I'd I'd known about sex mm-hmm. growing up. Because I was, like I said, I like I was always fascinated by sex and I was really interested in it um and I was definitely obsessed with it um even long before I was having it with other people Mm. um and so I but um so yeah so I decided to do it on TikTok but it's quite a it's an interesting platform to do it on because they have very because obviously it's quite a young platform they have very very strict censorship rules yeah um so how do you manage that so I kind of it's 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 a little bit of a a compromise because I I don't say any of the words right that are that are deemed naughty by TikTok mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so I I whisper words like sex um and penetration and vulva mm-hmm. and penis um and then when I write them I write them like I'll put a three instead of an e in penis Got it. um just so it doesn't get flagged by yeah. the algorithm as much yeah. um which is it is a compromise because as people comment on the videos, they're like, why are you whispering the words if they're not shameful? Mm. And I'm like, I agree. It's literally just so I can get the information there, at mm. least. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that is kind of a big compromise that I've had to do. Um, but I've, um, I haven't been as active on it in the last month, so I do want to get back into it. But I did an initial video, because um, you've got, you can do up to a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I initially tried doing like the different dance videos, <laughs> and I used those to like, show off my body hair to be like oh body hair's normal yeah um, you don't need to shave um and they yeah they work quite well but um I then did my first video I did a um five myths I've learned about masturbation mm-hmm. um which was kind of from my own journey with masturbation I started when I was I think I started well I was the first to admit in my entire school year because we did have a school trip where we discussed it yeah um and like at night time you know when you're kind of together and I was the first to admit that I masturbated and Mm -hmm. so it kind of it made me the girl who masturbates um Mm -hmm. in school and I I think I internalized a kind of a lot of weird assumptions about it so I Mm -hmm. kind of did a I did a video of like the five myths about masturbation um and that actually very instantly went I think semi-viral like it's got Mm -hmm. I think nearly two million views now which um and I think it's just because it was information that isn't yet it, I think it's growing on that platform now, but it yes. wasn't as available. Um, and yeah, so a lot of the videos I do are just kind of myths about, because I think there are so many 
ness that we internalize because that educa- education isn't there yeah absolutely. Um, so yeah that's kind of what I'm doing with TikTok but um Fantastic. it is it Next is interesting and, yeah no definitely I think it's it's really interesting because I think again it's a neutral it's not neutral but it's um just an open platform where there's so much horrible hateful content on there mm. and then there's so much kind of random content mm. um and then obviously your algorithms show you your echo chamber of what you want to see but Mm-hmm. I'm seeing so many incredible kind of forms of activism on there. Um, and I think it's, I think it is connecting people, especially in lockdown. And I think it's allowing, for, like, I mean, there was before the Black Lives Matter movement mm-hmm. um, kind of had um, kind of took hold in the way it did in June. There was already a lot of conversations about race and racist algorithms taking place on TikTok, mm. which, um, I haven't I didn't see taking place in the same way and with the same kind of velocity as they did on kind of Instagram or Twitter yeah, yeah. um wow. and I think it's because I yeah I mean I, I just think it's it is how people are communicating now it's videos it's visual yeah um and so it's really engaging um but yeah I think I think it is I mean I think like any new technology people are against it and they're like oh not another one mm. um but well, it's evolution isn't it it's just yeah exactly so. I think there's a lot there's a lot of value on it and there's a lot of um space to um yeah to communicate through mm. it it's really valuable mm, fantastic and so how can people find you um yeah on your um, social media and things so on my instagram I'm we nude to talk so it's mm-hmm. nude instead of need and then uh, it's the same name on tiktok but obviously because of all the censorship, um, the nude is spelt with a three at the end instead of an E. So it's we nude talk with a three. Got it. Um, but yeah, so again, that was that was my first instance when I started TikTok. Like, oh, I can't even use my username. Um, <laughs> and I was like, well, this will be interesting. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's how you find me. Great. Exciting. Oh, well, I, yeah, I'm sure there'll be lots of people who want to follow along and yeah just get a little bit more education around all of this stuff but thank Amazing. you so much it's been a real joy to okay. share space with you um, oh, thank you so much it's been it's been a great way to spend the morning yeah really lovely I hope you've enjoyed it and just thank you so yeah. much no, thank you yeah, thank you for this this podcast I think this is an incredible platform and like you said I think these are really valuable conversations to be having with those of different people yeah um, I think we need yeah, to thank definitely so thank you for having me on it's a pleasure my absolute pleasure and just thank you for yeah doing what you're doing it's so needed and yeah just in complete support of everything that you're doing in the world in this space you keep it up oh and likewise to you too Mm, awesome take care you too Bye. bye I love that conversation with Marlena. What a bright spark. And it was really encouraging to hear her insights into this burgeoning new field of technology and how she is creating positive change within that space. Um, And also just the focus on 
you know, relating um, as part of sex education. How can we teach young adults and children about intimacy, about closeness, about how to communicate their feelings, as well as and in connection to what they learn about their bodies? I think that's so valuable. So it's really inspiring to meet uh, someone who is part of that up-and-coming generation who's so passionate about what they do and filled with so much intelligence, insight and wisdom. So my deep thanks go out to Marlena for joining me. And if you want to find more of Marlena's educational resources, you can follow her on Instagram and on TikTok at Talk on Instagram and TikTok and she's also part of the Healthy Pleasure Group and the Entomology where she uh, has written columns for different newspapers and is a contributor to uh, the educational resources um, on the Entomology. So thank you for listening. Um, If you want to find more about my work uh, with the erotic and the sensual and surreal, you can follow me at Sophia Shawcon on Instagram. Uh, And yes, very exciting. Lots coming up in my world. There's an exhibition happening in December, which I'm prepping for. So I am a very busy bee at the moment. Um, So I can't wait to bring you some more conversations. Stay tuned and we'll keep you posted on what's coming up next have a fantastic weekend and really enjoy the restful time and I hope you get to indulge in something some people somewhere that brings you pleasure with love Sophia